0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out BlueWirePods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe.
1: What's crack a lackin', Hardware Knox podcast listeners? I am Damp Valley coming at you without my co host, Andy Bailey. I am, however, pleased once again to be joined by Adam Frommel. He is, again, the founder and editor-in-chief of NBA Math at NBA underscore Math. They sponsor this podcast. Follow him on Twitter at Frommel09. We're continuing on with our historical rankings of the top 10 players for each NBA team over the past decade. Before we get started, I want to shout out our sponsor, as always, betonline.ag. You'll be hearing from them in just a little bit. Be sure to use the promo code. That helps the pod. And subscribe, rate, review to us on iTunes as well. We're going to keep this short, though. We're getting shorter in the intros. I'm proud of us, or me. Adam, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing great. I'm curious when um, betonline.ag is going to start taking bets on where we have guys ranked for some of the franchises that, that come up later in the alphabet.
1: Yeah, you know, we really need to figure this out. BetOnline.ag, you need to put these props on your website. Where are where's, where are the composite rankings going to be for the top 10 players for each NBA team all time? I, I would bet on that just because I have inside information, but maybe some other people would bet on that that too. We are going to, per Adam's astute suggestion, change it up a little bit. We're going to give you the composite rankings this time, which will be my top 10, Adam's top 10, and then the fan vote combined into that average and then we'll go through our individual order as we go through that but we didn't want to be so repetitive as to you know going through the same players who are just all over the place I also think this will be way easier to follow because it was for me when when Adam broke it down and we'll get to some honorable mentions at the end because there are some hysterical names there somewhere on the list higher than you think that they should be spoiler alert Greg Stiesma moving on though uh Adam direct us here where who's the number 10 player on the Celtics this past decade in the composite ranking?
2: Uh, The number 10 player of the last decade, this has sort of been a weird decade for the Celtics. And I think we're really seeing that here um, with number 10.
1: How'd you put it to me before we recorded? It was they've gone through like eight different eras this decade. Right,
2: right. So like we're looking at 2010-11 through the present day, which means we're looking at the Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett teams that were competitive. The Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett teams that were less competitive. The absolutely atrocious 25-win team in 2013-14, where Brandon Bass led them in win shares. Then the rebuild until Isaiah Thomas was leading them, and then Kyrie Irving's brief tenure, and now the the Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum group. Like it's it's been such a weird last 10 years for this historical franchise that it's it's hard to come up with that many players who have spent a lot of time in Celtic green, which is why Kyrie Irving is number 10 here, even though he has played a grand total of 127 games for the Celtics and did not leave on the best of terms. He was number nine for me in my personal rankings. He was number nine for the fans. And shout out to the fans big time here. They had uh, three times as many responses for the Celtics as we got for the Hawks. So thank you for everyone's participation there. Way to drag the Hawks, man.
1: Look, I didn't have Kyrie on my list. And all I'm going to say there is I could understand him being on this list, particularly where he is. It's not like he's in fourth. I'm not voting for someone who just gave up in that final playoff series in 2019. It's just not happening for me. And that whole whatever happened behind the scenes, I know he was dealing with some stuff. Uh, He talked about it uh, once he signed with the Nets about the death of his grandpa last year impacting him. And I'm all you know, looking after your mental health and the way we cover it needs to change. And that's not an aspect of it for me, but he just wasn't, he did not help that team uh, when you look at it from an emotional perspective as, as a leader. And then just the way he played uh, in the tail end of that postseason run for them. I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. I recognize. Uh, he yeah. Had a,
2: yeah. He had a, I, I totally get it. I couldn't do <laughs> it. Like, I, I totally get why you couldn't do it. And it's such a weird tenure. You know, like he, he was so good During these regular seasons, he didn't, he was injured during the first postseason. He, uh, like you said, he gave up in the second, but still like over those two regular seasons, he averaged 24, four and a half and six and almost slashed 50, 40, 90. Like he was just an offensive machine in Boston and it didn't mean anything. Um, They didn't win anything when they did. It wasn't because of him um, with that rookie (laughs) rookie year, Jason Tatum playoff run. Um, But like the talent was, was just, was there, you know, a, it's, it's a, I think it's, during it's that really span, hard.
1: I think during that span, regular season, that's the only time in his career over multiple seasons that he's been, I would say a near consensus top 10 player too. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and would you be surprised high or low if I told you that, that Kyrie is 24th in games played for the Celtics during the last decade?
1: I, that'd be just like, whatever for me, just, they've run through so many different versions right. anyway who spent two years with them, I feel like could be in the top 25.
2: Yeah. But it's like, just seeing that I was like, okay, like I was, I was pretty opposed to having anyone in my top top 10 that only spent two seasons there and didn't even play in the playoffs on one of them. But like, he's still 24th in games played. Like I I feel like he, he meets the volume prerequisite there.
1: If they didn't have what I thought and we'll get to them, obviously better alternatives, looking at longevity and Mm -hmm. contributions in the playoffs, uh, he definitely, you know, he might be, I didn't go through this, but he might be number 11 for me. It's, it's either him
2: big.
1: it's either him or Jared Sollinger,
2: clearly. So. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and at, at your 10 spot, you actually had a guy who uh, who was played one fewer game during the regular season. So he's actually 25th on that game's played leaderboard.
1: He, I didn't even realize he would be that low. I should probably displace him from the top 25, though. But Jay Crowder, uh, first of all...
2: Oh, sorry. Guy, I, th- I thought you had Ray Allen at number 10.
1: Oh, I do. I have Ray Allen. Excuse me. You're right, you're correct. That makes a ton more sense. He didn't leave Boston on the best terms, but just as a shooter you mean
2: like hating everyone else who was there.
1: Look, I could see not liking uh Ray John Rondo. So I'm 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 team Ray Allen there. Uh because Kevin Garnett's involved, it gets a little bit weird, but I think I think Allen kind of recognized that the 2008 Celtics have milked that championship too long. And I I could see and he also made sacrifices that the other three didn't really have to towards the end. Um, And I mean, even throughout his tenure there in general, but in his two seasons that qualify for this 61.2 true shooting uh, shot, almost 45% from three. He's another player. This doesn't have anything to do with my ranking, but his prime is just one of those stars that I feel like we're underrated where I feel like we don't remember how good Vince Carter's prime was. Maybe Ray Allen's in that bucket as well. Michael red, just so good uh, but the dependability that he gave you from beyond the arc and the things he was doing at a time when I wouldn't say it was an anomaly, but it wasn't as commonplace as it was now to have someone like him who feasted uh, so much from three. And so I and maybe I'm I still am getting a little there's uh, there a feels factor because he was on the title team. Sure. And he's also on the teams, you know, the Celtics, even as they got older. Uh, they just had some like interesting, a couple times anyway, they they had those interesting playoff series with uh, the Miami Heat. And so perhaps that I'm sort of falling in love with that a little bit, but just his shooting uh, and, and what he could do overall. Right? Ray Allen, the 10 spot for me, did not factor in his departure at all, because like you said, he basically despised the entire franchise, it seemed like.
2: I thought about having Ray Allen in my 10 spot and I really struggled with like the the dichotomy in his two playoff performances during this decade, because one of them was fantastic and the other was not. So during the the 2011 playoffs, he averaged 19 points a game. He shot 52.3% from the field, 57.1% on threes and 96% on free throws. Like he just, he could not miss anything, but then the next year averaged 10.7 points and slashed, 395, 34, or 30 point four, and seventy-one one. And that was ultimately over two times as many games, which is why I, I kind of knocked him back to my eleventh spot.
1: Yeah, and I mean if you look at that uh the heat series that year, specifically in, in twenty twelve, that was the Eastern Conference Finals, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Where they took them to seven. Yeah. Uh, that would be an argument against having him on this list.
2: But that, w- that was the that was the series where we saw LeBron come out of the tunnel like totally focused um and it was like the scary lebron that we hadn't seen before right
1: right i think wait was that that year i, think I don't know it was 2000 he was after the 2011 loss there was a, a, a switch that flipped so i would see i would probably argue that that would have been the year then because it's immediately right after that <laughs> not a miami heat podcast though but so you could use that you know he didn't he played a ton of minutes during that uh series and he didn't really leave like an offensive dent. He shot a ton of threes, and there's value in that for the for the offense. And he, you know, he played fairly well in that game seven. Uh, So I could see knocking him off for that. But but again, I'm I this probably says more about my opinion of Kyrie's time, or at least the end of his time in Boston, than it does about
2: Ray Allen. And and again, like I think that's totally fair. Like we're really this is one of those franchises where we're, we only have ten players because we had to have ten players by our own rules. Not that there are like really ten deserving all decade candidates.
0: Right.
1: March sadness is rolling on and on and on, Hardwood Knox listeners. With currently no nba nhl or mlb you might think there's nothing to bet on well you'd be wrong our exclusive partner bet online still has hundreds of sports events and games to wager on or you can let them bring vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack all open 24 hours a day and all online including their $750,000 poker series if you're into props and entertainment betting you can still bet on survivor big brother american idol stock prices even the weather Visit their website and join today to receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. Be sure to use our promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, BLUEWIRE, again. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Uh, number number nine on the uh, the composite rankings is, oh no, it's number eight that we're going to run off, but, but you're the one leading us through this, so excuse me, Who we got a number nine?
2: At number nine, we have Avery Bradley, um, who you had at number eight, who I had at number 10, and who the fans had at number 10. And for me, like his inclusion really boils down to a concept we talked about during the Hawks podcast, uh, the verness the idea. You know, he's the he's the decades leader in games played by almost 20 games. And, you know, he had this reputation as a three and D guy, even though I feel like both components of the 3 and D-ness were a little bit exaggerated. And he was, he was like the source of controversy about like how much on versus off numbers really mattered for defense because you watched him and he, and he seemed like this lockdown guy, but the numbers didn't always support that. Um, You know, just one of those like analytics versus eye test poster boys for a a large part of this decade. So for me, it was, it was mostly about the awareness that, that got him in there in the first place.
1: I'm pretty much with everything you just said, and so the there those were the two aspects of his game that are probably always overrated. was never the most efficient offensive player, and you wouldn't necessarily want him doing all this stuff with the ball in his hands. There's still that value. He shot 36.6% from three during this span. That's certainly going to help. Uh, the longevity has to help him, too, For which sure. is why I had him a little bit higher. As you said, he was the leader in, in games played. And then there's, you know, I know the on-court numbers get a little iffy, and he's probably just not the best team defender. And that can happen to a lot of smaller guys, uh, who are tasked with these incredibly hard assignments. And I think that's where the value of him. lies. We see with Clay Thompson too. Right. And so if you just, you could put him on the ball and the on-off splits are going to, they might suck on some occasions, but if you can know that you have that guy where you can spare someone else from having to go up against the you know if the point guard is the best player on the team or whether it's it's the two I also think you know if he's a little bit bigger he's probably a more impactful defender with just during this time with the way he played really sort of had just had a good nose for the ball from what I remember and and so he was an easy inclusion for me I was I was a little bit surprised though I was worried I was putting him too low based on the longevity but the fact that he checked in at number 9 in the composite rank it was actually a little bit surprising to me
2: yeah I think one of the the biggest questions I have with Avery Bradley is I'm I'm just a little bit confused that he never developed into a better ball handler. It always felt like he struggled to like maintain possession of the ball whenever he was trying to do stuff. He never developed into any sort of consistent facilitator even though he spent time at both the 1 and 2. And I think that was the most one of the most disappointing parts of his time in Boston for me was that it felt like as he developed into this key rotation piece through like mostly at the end of that Paul Pierce era it seemed like he could do more and just didn't.
1: Yeah, for sure. I do. He's one of the players, and maybe uh, Evan Turner falls in this category a little bit. You kind of like wonder what happens to him if he never leaves the Celtics. Like that's when we really saw his offensive efficiency start to plummet when he was on the Pistons, is when those on-off split problems became more pronounced. And so he's just another guy where it's like, well, if he stays in Boston, what is his what is his career or this this part of his career look like? And that might be something to consider. He'd be way higher if he never leaves Boston. Think about how much time he would have spent the entire decade. There, which just doesn't. I don't think there's going to be anyone on this list that that qualifies. Like from 2010 through 2020, it's just there's going to be no one there. So, um, I, I he is one of those players that makes he same thing with Evan Turner. Like, if he never leaves Boston, what is what does he become in this at this this segment of his career?
2: Yeah. So you bring up Evan Turner, who's another really interesting one for me. I I didn't really give him much consideration for one of my top 10 spots. Um, but yeah, I I think that. Given his role on those teams and how uh, you know the coaching staff was was able to figure out more how to de- deploy his facilitating skills and his mid-range shot as he spent more time there, like yeah, he he's definitely one of those guys where I think he would have benefited from being there for the entire decade.
1: Who we got at number eight?
2: Uh, at number eight, we have Jalen Brown, who I had at number eight, the fans had at number eight, and you did not have, because I think you might have gotten confused between Jalen Brown and Jay Crowder since their names start the same.
1: <laughs> Dude, Jay Crowder, well, I didn't even mention I had him at number nine, where everyone else had Avery Bradley because I Bradley at number eight. Jay Crowder just, uh, first of all, it's funny that like we don't really see guys, I mean, we'll see these older stars who sign these super maxes finish their five-year deals, whether they'll be on different teams, many of them or all, most of them, whatever. But Jay Crowder, that deal that he signed, what seems like forever ago, like it's finally coming off the books. It was the, the
2: five million per season, right?
1: Yeah, it was basically, it was like, It was a little bit more than that I think he's making it oh, But that's what
2: he eight. had in Dallas, I think.
1: Yeah, so just just a bargain. But the things he could do defensively for them, that was also, he's always been, especially now, he might be one of the most overrated offensive players in the league but he wasn't into like this heat check nonsense with the celtics um that he's we've seen uh definitely more of it in utah and then we saw it a little bit in memphis uh doesn't have a a huge sample size with the heat but he was shooting the lights out from three uh just having him just a bigger defender who could go up probably two through four positions shoot around league average from three hit a good clip on his his two pointers, just super solid. And I think for the time span that we're looking at, where he was, what was it, three seasons he was with Boston uh, yeah, during this? Yeah, a little this. over three he was the guy that sort of just typified like three and D specialists, not three and D star, but three and D specialist for me.
2: Right. It's, it's kind of how it, like, I felt about Damari Carroll with the Hawks. Like he was, he was important to those good teams that they had. And, you know, in, in the interest of full disclosure here, like I had Jay Crowder in my 10 spot when I originally submitted my rankings and then dropped him down to essentially 12 behind Ray Allen and Avery Bradley and Kyrie Irving. Uh, like he's definitely important, but for me, like, Jalen Brown reached a level that that Crowder did not, which is why I had him had him there. And unfortunately, you know, like this season has been shortened. We don't know if it's ever going to continue. Um, but he he was averaging 20.4 points, 6.4 rebounds, 2.2 assists. He was shooting the ball efficiently. He was figuring things out again on defense. And it it was that peak level of performance that when we're working with so many players who don't have anything but these abbreviated tenures, um, I, I valued that a lot here. Was like he was he? Jalen Brown was really good, um, and I'm not sure that that descriptor ever t- was something that Jay Crowder totally qualified for. Even if he was valuable because of his all-around abilities,
1: I'll be straight up. I probably need to bump Jay, uh, Ray Allen for Jalen Brown just because of the, his consistency on the defensive end. He really has serious range on defense. He's mm-hmm. he's someone who could defend basically four positions, and so I don't know that he's. Uh, for me, I'm not sure if he's ever made strides on the offensive end, definitely his efficiency, but a lot of it feels like just a, a matter of more opportunity without having the responsibility of a playmaker. And and maybe I'm penalizing him a little bit too much for that, but I'm, I'm just recognizing just knowing how, you know, Allen played in that final uh, playoff run. I I probably need to bump Ray Allen for Jalen Brown because he's really good. And fun fact on Jay Crowder, by the way, that was a five year, $35 million deal. We were talking about that contract has seen five teams since he wow. signed it. Boston, Utah, Cleveland, Memphis, and now Miami.
2: That's shocking to me.
1: Uh, it's, it was one of those contracts where, look, he wasn't always good, and I think he might at this point, or at least until he was straight in Miami, be one of the most overrated offensive players in the nba but it's such a good contract where you don't really look at it as a throw-in it's like oh maybe he can help us but if it doesn't work out we can just move him because he's he's an asset in that trade i'm so interested to see what he ends up signing for in free agency when it when it takes place probably in like november or whatever at this rate
2: yeah and i i guess i I totally get why he would be overrated on offense i mean the guy's name is literally jay like he should be good at shooting (laughs) and there's your dad joke of the podcast
1: I think Davey might have chuckled at it. That or he's frowning at you right now. Well,
2: he's napping right now, so hopefully neither. Yeah, but he probably just woke up because he heard the dad joke. Uh, That's true.
1: Uh, Who do we have at number seven?
2: At number seven, we have our uh, reigning champion for the Hawks, and that is Al Horford, um, who was number one for Atlanta and is now number seven for Boston. Uh, He was number seven for you. He was number seven for the fans, and he was number five for me.
1: Yeah, he's – I – Actually wish I put him at least one spot higher. There were on those Kyrie teams for Boston, I think you can argue that he was the Celtics best player both those seasons, just overall. they're most valuable, whatever you want to want to call it and Tatum and Brown received a lot of credit for the twenty eighteen playoff push, and they mm-hmm. definitely deserved it. But Al Horford was like, if you needed lineups to anchor the offense when Kyrie Irving was off the floor earlier on and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown's development. And even again, even through all of last year, like he was the, the constant there. Like that's how you got by. And then we talked about this with the, on the Hawks podcast, just so good defensively. Uh, One of the best transition defending bigs that I, I've ever seen. And then as you've mentioned, just super switchable in the half court, which you don't really see from someone his size, just the way that he can move uh, during his time in Boston. Again, not so much this season in Philly uh, when he's going after closeouts, like I mentioned in in transition as well. So, I I feel like the player that I put above him, uh, I did it just out of respect for the legacy he has with the team. But if I were more, if I were braver, I would have put him at five or six where you put him.
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting that the only All Defensive Team that Horford has made in his entire career was 2017-18 with the Celtics. Um, yeah, I think the only real negative from his time with Boston, aside from them not um not always going super deep into the playoffs, was just that he only spent three seasons there. Um I, I don't have many negative things to say about anything he did on the court. Uh he he took a step back offensively from what he did in Atlanta, deferring more touches. Um, uh, but I think it was it was this three year stint in Boston where the basketball watching world really seem to appreciate just how good this guy was, you know, that he was one of those players who doesn't need to score 20 points per game to be an all-star caliber player um, that he's going to make a huge impact with his distributing skills from the elbows, with his mid range shot, with his new ability to stretch the court out from the three point arc, um, the transition defense, the switchability, just the fact that he could do anything and everything. Um, I, I, he even found his stroke from the free throw line in Boston, uh, which is something that he struggled with at times in Atlanta. It's it's he was a tough one to rank just because the negative is a big deal that he only spent 208 games during the regular seasons in Boston. Um, but he was so good during that time that I, I wanted to give him uh, a little more credit. He
1: uh, Maybe the best way to sort of contextualize his career Jack of all trades, master of some. That might I, love be the, I love it. I love it. I'm down with way,
2: that.
1: That might be the best way to look at Al Horford. And so uh, I would say routinely during that time. So this during the time he spent with the Celtics, those three seasons, this is not a perfect catch-all ranking. It was just what I could bring up really quickly while you were talking. 22nd in the league during that three-year span in value over rep- replacement player. So Vorp. Just that steady top 20 presence. And fans seem to get like – incensed whenever he'd be in the top 20 or top 25 or even top 15 of player rankings. But he was in that territory and he would never maybe have the counting stats and we blah, blah, blah about Tristan Thompson and all that. Um, and his, and the the defensive rebounding that people take issue with, but he was just so valuable. Even if you're just not, if you're trying to just look at numbers, just his value to a team, I would say during this span, not even just on the Celtics, but I would easily say top 20 to 15 in the league. Just val- overall value.
2: Yeah, I, I just have one enduring question, and that's, is he a power forward or a center? Oh, God. Anyone who was to
1: the Hawks podcast knows that th- this is not a question that we want to answer. <laughs> who
2: is number six? At number six, we have John Rondo, who you had at number six, um, who Reluct- I had at number Reluct- seven. I'm sorry? Reluctantly, I might have. Reluctantly. So yeah, you had him at six, I had him at seven, and the fans had him at number five. And I think it's fitting that I had him the lowest of all of us, because for all of the decade, pretty much, I have been accused on Twitter of not liking Rajon Rondo's game and underselling how good he is. And I'll own that. Like, I don't like Rajon Rondo's game, and I do try to undersell him.
1: Yeah, it's what really just made it tough for me to put him any lower is, you know, for two years in this span, uh, three years in this span, actually, he averaged over 11 assists per game like that, that matters. And in those early seasons, the offense was actually better with him on the court. I think what happened with his game is that it aged poorly, not because of, you know, he dealt with injuries, uh, only played 30 games in 2013, 2014, but the way the game changed, he was just never adapted to it as well. He shot better from three on wide open catch and shoot opportunities in recent years. I think there was a place for his game at one point. It was a little bit before this decade, but, it, but at the very beginning, it was still sort of at that all-star-esque threshold. And right. I feel like I really have to recognize that.
2: Yeah. And and I hope that I still am just by having him in my seventh spot in general, because there's no doubt that he is one of the better passers that we've seen in a long time. Um, but, you know, I I think that it's easy to assume that he's one of the the leaders in games played during this decade because he spent so much time in Boston. But four of those seasons came before our cutoff. And interestingly, like this, this really surprised me when I saw it. But if you look at the games played leaderboard at number 10, we have Jason Tatum at 218. And at number 11, we have Rondo at, two, at uh, 211. So he actually, wow. because of all the injuries, he actually spent less time on the court. In terms of games played, um, he, he is actually ahead in minutes um, than, than Jason Tatum did, even though Tatum feels like this new, fresh player in Boston and Rondo feels like this guy who's who, who had always been there. Um, so that was one of the reasons I dropped him down. The other is just that I felt like he—so he, many times I feel like I've seen him make the wrong play because he's chasing those assists. You know, how many times did we see him turn down an open layup or a semi-contested layup to make a kick out pass so that he could get one more diamond there. Um, and between that and the, the obvious shooting weaknesses, like I, I just, I never felt that he was as good as people wanted him to be. And had he not played in such a, a a massive market with a very passionate fan base, I don't think that perception of him would have ever risen as high.
1: I'm totally with you. I would love to see it's not publicly available. I would love to see, The tracking data for how long he had the ball in his hands, like during his heyday, because I think that's a lot. of. There's no questioning his IQ and what he could see with his vision. But I feel like how he sort of I wouldn't say he was someone who pounded the ball into the ground, but just extended possessions, perhaps unnecessarily because he wasn't aggressive enough looking for his own shop when you have that much control of the ball. I almost feel like maybe it's a little bit easier then to pick up those assist numbers. Just you're you're mm-hmm. taking so much time and maybe not making the quick quickest decisions. And he look when he did when he was shooting, he was just inefficient. Uh, of every single player that attempted a thousand shots during the four and a half seasons that he spent with the Celtics during this decade, he has the eleventh worst true shooting percentage uh, during that span. And just for context, Ricky Rubio is tied with him right there. Oof. And so we all it's just. That's that's something that you you can't shake regardless. But as I said before, I would love to see the the tracking data for for touch time and average dribbles per possession for him during not even just this this decade that he spent with the Celtics, but before so when the Celtics were a contender with him.
2: He did have some sick fake behind the back passes, though.
1: Yeah, look, his, he's he's savvy, and the trickery is
2: has a, to be he's appreciated. He's a great passer. Yeah, like yeah. we we can't sell that short.
1: But he was only number he was only number six in the composite rankings and you had him yeah. at, at number seven. Uh who do we have at number five?
2: At number five, we have Jason Tatum, uh who you had at number five, who I had at number six, and who the fans had at number four, all of which I think are pretty fair because it's beyond clear that this is a, a superstar in the making if he's not already made, based on what we're seeing this season. Like the, the rise that we saw or are seeing, hopefully, throughout this twenty nineteen-20 season. Has just been unbelievable. It's like everything has clicked for him, and I think we we honestly might be selling him a little short in terms of his current level because his offense has gotten so much attention that I think it's flying a little below the radar. How good he's been on defense too.
1: Yeah, and that's so that's one of the things for me. Obviously, the that rookie year, the postseason, not having Gordon Hayward or Kyrie Irving, and pushing the Cavs. Uh, to a game seven in the Eastern Conference Finals, dunking all all over LeBron in that game seven. That helps anecdotally. But then I wouldn't say he takes a step back last year, but there was definitely like some stagnancy. And I don't know that that was him so much as it was just a crowded pecking order. When you looked at guys who like to operate with the ball in their hands, Um, Gordon Hayward coming back from injury, Uh, you have Kyrie Irving, Terry Rozier, Marcus Morris, all approaching free agency. Ditto with Al Horford, even though he's not as big of an issue. And then you have Jalen Brown. It just seemed like it was too crowded. And now we fast forward to this season when he's given more responsibility and it's just working. He's shooting an absurd percentage on these uh, unassisted threes as turned into one of the most reliable players on those shots in the league. And then as you mentioned about the defense during this decade, correct me if I'm wrong, did the Celtics ever have a player who you could say was an All-NBA caliber on both sides of the ball. And I don't think that you can. Maybe Al Horford came pretty close during not, one of his— because
2: yeah. so, of limited scoring.
1: So if I were to make an All-Defense team right now, I'd have Tatum definitely on the second team. I, I have to go through it more than just mentally to see if I'd have him on the first. But he's definitely making third-team All-NBA this year. That's just happening overall. And then to make an All-Defense team as well, which I think he should, that's big for me. It's not the best individual season— that we've seen from a Celtic during this decade that belongs, I would argue, to someone that we'll talk about in a little bit. But it's probably
2: in the top three, definitely in the top five. Oh, for sure. I think without question. I mean, so if if we were to to redraft the the entire Eastern Conference right now, Giannis Antetokounmpo is obviously going to be the number one pick. But I, you can make a serious case for for Tatum at number two regardless of whether you're talking about building a franchise moving forward or just for this current season. Like, even though I've, I've been told he's still 19 years old, right? But um, <laughs> but right now, like, I think he, he already has a legitimate case to be called the second best player in the East. And maybe you want to give that to Pascal Siakam or Chris Middleton or, or someone else, but like, he's at least in that conversation already.
1: Yeah, there's, look, there's cases to be made for Joel Embiid too, but I would say, uh, I'm a huge Pascal Siakam fan. I think you can definitely argue that where that seemed like it was a debate and during the season, I don't actually really think it's a debate anymore. Like, I think he's clearly above there. And so I would say he's one of the, If you want to go with Joel Embiid in the East, uh, and then I'm, I'm not counting Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant in this, I would say Jason Tatum is probably no worse than the third best player in the East right now. There'll be some people saying, well, what about Bradley Beal and yada, yada, yada. But Jason Tatum this season has been absolutely ridiculous. And you look at his age, and the trajectory he he appears to be on and what he can do uh, defensively uh, just particularly as a as a helper i've been really impressed with what he's done this season i i don't know how you put him lower than third on that totem pole and i'd probably have him second just because of availability and you look at with joel yeah, I and think I would that's too. Still a question mark number 4 though who do we have
2: we don't have anyone because we have two players tied at number 3 um <laughs> So I would rather talk about Kevin Garnett first of these two players who are tied. So let's do that. So we have Kevin Garnett tied at third in the composite. He was number four on your rankings. He was number four on my rankings, which is why I chose him now. Um, and he was number three on the fans' rankings.
1: Yeah, it's, I, so one thing I did when I was looking back at the seasons that these players had in the decade, I was actually surprised at how like statistically sound Kevin Garnett was during the three years he was with the Celtics, because I just thought he sort of like, I'm remembering, I guess, what happened immediately after he was traded to the Nets, where he kind of looked washed. I was in the same
2: boat as you, yeah. Uh,
1: But there wasn't that steep drop-off in Boston. Definitely, I think you saw like a reduction uh, moving off the championship in 2008 to those seasons then coming up, but he was really steady in those age 33, 34, and 35 seasons. And what he did as a defensive communicator, and it seemed like Uh, he was the emotional embodiment of that Celtics team. And so I I toyed with putting him a little bit higher, but I actually thought I was going to put him lower going into this because I was surprised at how good he was during that latter part of his Celtics tenure.
2: Right. It's fun just to look at the recognition that he got during those three years, the, the first season that's eligible, he was a first team all defensive player. The second season, he was a second team all defensive season, uh, all defensive team player. And then the third one, 2012-13, he did not make any of the all defensive teams, but he got an MVP vote. He, he actually registered <laughs> on on MVP ballots. And I think that's a good way of just showing like the recognition that he was still getting from the people who are voting on these awards. Like He was still making a huge impact for these teams. Um, I, I do wish that he had embraced the, the stretchiness that he had shown earlier in his career and that we were starting to see come in vogue a little bit more in the NBA at that time. Uh, it's a little bit frustrating that he only took 33 pointers during that three-year stretch, knowing that he could do more. Um, and then it might have saved some wear and tear as he moved deeper into his 30s. But like, Even without that, he was just such an impactful player in so many areas.
1: Yeah, so he, I'm with you on the stretchiness. He, 40.1% of his shots during these three years in the decade came between 16 feet and the three-point line. He shot 47.5% from there for those three years combined. And then he shot 20% from three-point range. And it was just, it wasn't that, that long ago. It was still novel for someone like him, I guess, to be uh, taking three-pointers. But he, looking back, maybe not in the moment and it's fine if you're gonna hit them at that clip like whatever like those are the shots that he could take he but he has to like lead the all-time rankings in dude couldn't you have just shot more threes like that has to be especially
2: spending so much time with rondo too like you would have thought they'd want that
1: well you know maybe he would get bored uh, standing behind the three-point line though because rondo spends like 19 seconds dribbling the the clock out first and passing up two layups during that time is maybe what happened.
2: And I, I hope that our, our listeners are are hearing how much we love Rondo just coming through to all he was, Yeah, He was good. All
1: <laughs> The other player that was tied, who is he?
2: The other player who is tied at third is Marcus Smart. Um, Marcus Smart was third in your rankings. He was third in mine. And I'd like to take this moment to just kind of, Criticize the fans a little bit here for only having him sixth. Like everyone who's voted, thank you so much for voting, but like do a better job with Marcus Smart.
1: <laughs> all I'm going to say, and this has become a little bit of my stick, if you made it uh, an all NBA, I'd follow him into hell and back team. Marcus Smart is on it. Even before his three point shot improved uh, over these past two seasons, just a defensive monster and always someone who seemed to elevate the team. While he was on the floor with what he was doing, whether it was just because of his defensive activity, really giving a damn about the outcome of every single possession or defending up more as we've seen in recent years that he can do where he's like oh marcus smart's a pretty good post defender let him defend fours we don't care uh and then again to what he can he can run sometimes a competent pick and roll and and the uptick in his shooting particularly last year i think it dropped this
2: year i did not check that before Yeah, it's gone from 36-4 last year to 34-8 this year yeah but that's still fine just based off. especially now that he's taking 6.9 a game
1: and he fires them off and that's the other thing i love about him just the irrational confidence he has in the jump shot, it actually amounts to an asset even when it's not going in because there will still be, if you're, it's not like he's just standing all the time behind the three point line. If you're going to fire shots off the dribble, you will coax certain defenders into actually guarding you. And there's value in that happening.
2: Absolutely. And I didn't look this up because if it's false, I just want to continue living under this delusion, but it feels like he shoots like 60% on threes and clutch situations. Like every every time there's a close game, like, yep, Marcus Smart's going to make that one.
1: I you know I've never seen him miss a clutch shot, so I'm with you. I'm with you.
2: So maybe I should look it up because sixty percent might be low. I mean, you know,
1: maybe this maybe this season. I'd like to see. I don't know for his career. It'd probably take a little while to um, to look up, but we probably look that up really quickly. Do you have anything to vamp about while, while I look up his clutch shooting this season?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, while you're looking that up, like, let's also just like mention what a good playmaker he's become too. That was something that wasn't really as much of a strength, I don't think, when he was back at Oklahoma State. Um, I don't remember the. Yeah, yeah. He he averaged 4.8 assists per game during his sophomore years, sophomore season at Oklahoma State, which is pretty solid. But when he entered the NBA, it didn't seem like he was that kind of point guard who is just going to make everything happen for everyone, especially um, coming into a franchise that had Rondo for so many years. Uh, but he's really become a solid facilitator who never seems to make mistakes when the ball's in his hands. Like sometimes he can get over aggressive trying to finish plays around the rim, taking jumpers that he doesn't really have any business taking. But like the fact that he's pushing towards five assists per game doesn't even turn the ball over twice per game. And I feel like at least one of those comes on a charge each time he plays Um, Like that's those are that's a really great development for a guy who has made as big a five-year improvement. I think we've seen from any player for this franchise in the last decade.
1: I'm just gonna I went four seasons back on his clutch shooting, and I'm just gonna let you know that the numbers do not agree with you. He is over the last four seasons in the clutch, 11 of 38 from three for 28.9% shooting.
2: Yeah, but those 11 mattered a lot.
1: Well, they were in the crunch time, so of course they mattered. <laughs> Anecdotally, though, it doesn't seem like Marcus Smart misses big-time
2: threes. Anecdotally, it, he makes enough of them that he draws defensive attention, which is a lot more than we could say about rookie year Marcus Smart. There you go. I like it. Who is number two? So there was a big jump up to the top two, um, which all three components had as, as one and two in some order. Um, our overall number two player is Isaiah Thomas, who you had at number two, who the fans had at number two and who I had at number one. So I'll let you lead this one off though.
1: I had Isaiah Thomas and just so good. Like the, the actual, what, what he did for this team, it's more so than that one singular season that we remember from him, but that's, that's really like something to, to remember you know you're looking at the way he played after the death of his sister when he was dealing with uh wouldn't he have like something was wrong with his he had like dental surgery and he was still playing and his, out hip of his was already bothering him too i think right that's that's definitely sad but when you traded for him he was kind of the person that i don't know if i want to say sped up the Celtics timeline but he is what sort of gave them the ability to straddle two different timelines because you you have this feisty team and he pushes them um to the playoffs when he comes and then just the way he played thereafter, like it it, it laid the groundwork for their uh, ascent. And it's forget about making the 2015 playoffs where they basically just squeaked in. I think they were under 500 that year, but they win 48 games in 2015, 2016. And then you put up a reasonable fight against the uh, Atlanta Hawks in the first round. And because he was there, at least in part, because he was there, you're able to poach Al Horford in free agency and and when Boston was then looking ahead into that season and then seasons after, they were mocked for not going after Jimmy Butler or Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. Uh, they they still were at least to the point of relevance where uh, you were able to envision them really making a dent in the Eastern Conference, and that was uh, a big part of 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 what he did. For them, And so for him to be there and allow the Celtics to be like these quasi East contenders while they were bringing in, uh you know, while they were waiting for, for these picks to, to become players, uh, I think that's a huge deal. And then let's not forget, he was also basically the centerpiece of the Kyrie Irving trade. And so – Which they that, did him
2: dirty in. And...
1: Right, which is – you know, that's something to reconcile because he's coming off that – crazy 2017 2018 season what was he he was what was he third or fifth in mvp voting that year uh just absolutely huge and the fact that it didn't cost uh the most expensive or most lucrative asset they gave up to get him was a 2016 first rounder which ended up being Scal labicia and so he really helped them bridge uh between what they were to what they are now and you're still sort of feeling the ramifications of him being with Boston, just because since you didn't need to give up any of those primo picks to get him, uh, yes, you were able to draft Jason Tatum. Yes, you were able to draft Jalen Brown, uh, J- Jalen Brown, excuse me. And you you maintained the equity to go out there and get Kyrie Irving, regardless of how that sort of panned out. Mm-hmm. So you're still sort of feeling Thomas's impact. I didn't even talk about his play on the court, but I think he just did so much more for this franchise than, than people realize.
2: Yeah, so just to clarify, he was fifth in MVP voting that season. Um, but uh, I'm I'm not sure that I can I I can make a good objective argument that he added the most value to Boston over this decade. Um, I I do think that's reserved for the the other guy that we haven't talked about yet, who was number two for me. But you know what it kept I kept coming back to the idea that Isaiah Thomas's um, 2016-17 season was the best thing we've seen from anybody in this franchise over the last decade, and I I think by Maybe a significant margin, um, just considering the the King and the fourth reputation and and how much he continued to do in those those massive moments followed by those playoff heroics during a really trying time in his life. Um, and, and beyond that, I think that that he more than anyone else kind of embodied the the mentality and the characteristics of this franchise that has been along been around for so so much time. You know, Boston has always been one of the most successful. Organizations, but it somehow maintained like that scrappy, almost underdog feel throughout a lot of it. You know, dating back to Ed McCauley and then the 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 John Havlicek years and and Dave Cowens and and Larry Bird and to some extent even Bill Russell coming from um, going to college at San Francisco and being one of the uh, the leading black superstars during a really difficult time to be a black superstar in athletics in America. Um, so to have this 5'9 point guard who has no business competing with everybody, um, who just towers above him and just dominating game in and game out. Uh, I I think that mattered a lot and it's why he resonated with such large portions of that fan base. So that, that part of the equation, I just, I couldn't get past and it's why I was the only one who had him number one.
1: I mean, and I think you can justify having him number one. And that, that 2017, uh, 2018 season alone probably makes, the case for you I don't know how many players were more valuable on the offensive end that year Uh, you could I I wouldn't say you could count them on on one hand but I I think you can I mean LeBron Harden uh, had to be up there
2: Durant and Steph and then maybe him
1: yeah I mean he's certainly there so just absolutely phenomenal I get why you had him number one and I actually think like sort of the anecdotal case that I laid out, that can be part of it too. And I think that's part of definitely what makes uh his his number two case is easy, but I, I do think he has a a number one case. I don't think anyone's gonna be surprised at at who number one is though.
2: Right. Yeah. So looking at the the voting breakdown for the fans, um, before we unveil the answer that everyone already knows, um we had seven different people get first place votes. We had Terry Rozier on what seemed to be a little bit trollish of a ballot, the source of a lot of the names that will surprise you when we go through all the other people who got votes. We had Kevin Garnett get one vote. We had Jason Tatum get three. Uh, We had Rajon Rondo get six. Marcus Smart got five. And then Isaiah Thomas got 10. And Paul Pierce, who is our number one, got 19. So he was pretty clearly um, the fan's number one. He was your number one. He was my number two. Um, I, I vacillated a lot between him and Thomas for those top two spots. Um, but yeah, take it away.
1: I'm uh, going to walk it back a second because I was trying to set this up while speaking before, but it kept failing. Isaiah Thomas was third in that 2016-2017 season. If I said 2017-2018 before, I apologize. He was third in NBA math's offensive points added. Only Harden and Westbrook were in front of them. There you and go. So there's there's playing time aspect there to that, but Stephen Curry and LeBron are, are right behind him. So and really,
2: as, as a quick side note there, I, I, it might be important to note that we, since Basketball Reference has switched over to their BPM 2.0, which more accurately accounts for um, the, the confounding impact of guys with really high um, assist rates and rebounding rates like Westbrook, that he might actually drop down when we eventually update that.
1: Still, for now, he is, he is third. Hats off to Isaiah Thomas. Look, Paul Pierce, I tried to make a case in my head to put Isaiah Thomas over Paul Pierce, but those three seasons that Pierce was with the Celtics in this decade, he was old and just still really ridiculously good. Bombing more threes, still averaging over 18 points a game, shooting well from three during that span. He's a big part of why they're able to push Uh, Miami to seven games in, in 2012. And he definitely has the, this is anecdotally again, but he, he has that, that clutch gene. It's intangible, but he was making you trust the wizards trusted him with the ball in crunch time when he was in his age 37 season. And so just, he's hit some ridiculously big time shots in his career. And that certainly might've vaulted him over the top on its own, but actually just looking how good his numbers were uh, during those final three seasons in uh, Boston – oh, final four, excuse me, four seasons in Boston. Oh, no, it was three. It was three, excuse me. Uh, three seasons in Boston, he averaged 18.9 points, 4.1 assists per game, hit almost 50% of his twos, and then shot 37.4% from three. Just like clockwork, and and to know that he was the Mr. Clutch, or whatever you want to call him, Mr. Big Shot is Chauncey Billups. I don't know what we call Pierce. I'm not a big fan of the truth,
2: uh, yeah, to be honest with the you. Truth.
1: No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not with the truth that I actually do not like that nickname. Moving on, though, to that.
2: Just look, I feel I, like that's one of your hotter takes.
1: You like the truth as a nickname.
2: I'm kind of indifferent about it, but I, I, you might be the first person I've encountered who actively doesn't like it.
1: That's fair. I mean, I, I don't I guess I'm not super against it, but I also don't have a better alternative for it either. And so maybe I well, kind of basketball
2: reference of does list P double as another nickname option.
1: I honestly I prefer P double
2: I want to know where that came from because I know they always have like some sort of source like maybe one random announcer said at one time but I've never heard that before
1: yeah there will be players where their nicknames will come up on there like who the hell calls them this I don't think I've ever heard anyone call Paul Pierce P double and wouldn't double P make more sense like I know that has to do with his initials P double has to be that I'm just wondering why it's not double P
2: trying to do some on the fly research here and apparently p double is a hip hop artist so we might have some issues there
1: oh we're out of touch then but i prefer p double to the truth you've gone silent you just not you don't even have a case for
2: it no i'm i'm trying to figure out why he's called p double um and i i'm getting nothing just like random people have referred to him as this in articles um Oh, he does on his website. He actually has a little bit of an explanation here. He says, uh, that summer, it was kind of weird to me. Usually people call me P squared, P double, or P. But my friends were like, what's up, truth? And I was like, that kind of has a good ring to it.
1: Eh. P squared, I would have liked too. I'm with P squared.
2: Yeah, we can go with P squared. P squared.
1: Maybe that's I'm, too mathy, but that'd be on brand for NBA math. So. Exactly.
2: Yeah, I'm totally down with that. No, so so with P Squared, I think that the, the biggest thing for me here is he probably has the objective case just because even though he was no longer that peak version of himself, he was like the crafty guy who's figured everything out and hasn't declined that much. Where, you know, you you, you called Al Horford the Jack of All Trades the, the master of some. Right. And and it's like Pierce was a slightly souped up version of that, I think, in a smaller package where he could just do everything well. And there wasn't one element of his game that that really stood out, which is why I I think we we saw him not get any sort of award love uh, during these three years. He he missed the All-Star game during the final of those three seasons. He didn't get any All-NBA, All-Defensive, MVP recognition whatsoever. But he's just really good. He was really good at everything. And you know, he, he consistently came through in those big moments. He consistently made an impact on both ends of the floor, and he really earned that P-squared nickname.
1: Imagine him playing more four in his prime. That'd be something I'd be curious to see. Also, what I found interesting, just because he wasn't there for a ton of time and because he was older during this decade, he leads the Celtics in VORP for the decade. Mm. I would have expected it to be Horford or Thomas, uh, maybe even Irving, uh, but, and they they actually make up the the three players behind him. but Paul Pierce, in games played for the Celtics, first in VORP during this decade.
2: Yeah. Not surprised.
1: Well, before we get out of here, we got we to gotta hear these honorable mentions. They got weird.
2: Oh, and there, there are some weird ones. Um, so we're just going to run through the fan vote here um, outside the top 10. We've already mm-hmm. talked about Ray Allen, who was 11th. Uh, Kemba Walker was 12th. I would imagine he's only going to keep moving up as he spends more time in Boston. Terry Rogier was 13th because he has a random first place vote and he was tied with Jay Crowder and Jeff Green. Robert Williams showed up tied for 16th. He only appeared on one ballot, but got a second place vote. Interestingly enough, by the same person who voted Terry Rozier first, he was tied with Kendrick Perkins and Greg Steamsma, and Kelly Olenek. Uh, tied at 20th, we had Ennis Cantor, Glenn Davis, and Aaron Baines. Alone in 23rd, we had Gershon Yabusele. Alone in 24th, we had Grant Williams. Tied at 25th was Shane Larkin and Gordon Hayward, which for whatever reason I find hilarious because they are such immensely different players in terms of skill. Um, Tied at 27th, we had Greg Monroe, Nate Robinson, and Jared Sollinger. Tied at 30th, we had Tony Allen, Evan Turner, Jermaine O'Neal, and Amir Johnson. And finally, tied at 34th with one 10th place vote apiece, we had Shaquille O'Neal, Jordan Crawford, and. The one and only Taco Fall.
1: Um all I'm gonna say is it's nice to know that uh Robert one of Robin Williams' parents follows you on Twitter.
2: Interesting. I didn't know that.
1: No, I'm just saying if some whoever voted him number two had to be related to him.
2: Oh, 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 I gotcha. Yeah, that joke totally flew over my head.
1: That was not funny.
2: That's why I flew over <laughs> your head. Uh, but yeah, most, I, I think with most these int- Go ahead. <laughs> I think with these votes like it's It's funny because we have no way of making people take it seriously. Um, I think most people have, and we're very appreciative for that. and the 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 random answers like are kind of funny. Like I'm not gonna lie. Like I, I definitely chuckled a little bit when I opened up the voting results, and I'm like, Wow, like Robert Williams got a second place vote. That's amazing. So thank you to whoever did that.
1: I'm actually going to take the opposite approach and urge people to please take this seriously so we can get better uh consolidated results we want those composite rankings to be they ended up fine right. but robert williams being in the as i the honorable mentions as he was is a little bit problematic but it's just the honorable mentions if he if it had been a bunch of people just a bunch of robert williams stands really coming in and really uh, juiced up uh putting him in the top 10 that's that's where it could become an issue and so it'll be interesting to see how high kyle kuzma ranks when when we're doing the lakers that's all that's all I would like to wonder.
2: Oh, for sure. I and I think, I think with one like Boston, like we had enough votes that it doesn't really matter as much because right. those are ultimately going to get outweighed. But for some of the franchises where we know there aren't going to be quite as many responses because the fan bases are smaller, like we would definitely urge people to keep it more serious. I'm actually a
1: little disappointed Yabusele didn't finish higher. Where are the Yabusele st- fans stands at?
2: Yeah, he was on two ballots. He got a sixth and a ninth place vote. Both of which
1: are too low that's my expert opinion Adam this was fun uh, we will eventually be back with who do we have next the Brooklyn Nets that's gonna Brooklyn be Nets. that's gonna be hell I took a look at it because I haven't done my rankings yet but that's gonna be that's gonna be hellish
2: yeah it's like the same thing as the Boston Celtics where they have so many different small mini eras within this last decade except none of them were as good <laughs>
1: We'll be on the lookout for that. Maybe it'll be dropping uh, sometime this week, depending on what the rest of the Hardwood Knox recording schedule uh, ch- turns out to be. As always, thank you, Adam. Follow Adam on Twitter, listeners, at Frommel09. Follow MBA Math at NBA underscore Math. You can follow Andy on Twitter at Andrew D Bailey. I'm at Dan Favalle F A V A L E. Please remember, as always, to follow the show at Hardwood Knox on Twitter. We have a YouTube channel, so check out Hardwood Knox on YouTube. Subscribe there and. Uh, above all please make sure you're rating reviewing and subscribing to us everywhere wherever you're getting your podcast but itunes is the is the best way to to help us out so thank you for listening and until next time i leave everybody with the shout out to what the hell Gershon selly shout out to you
0: sugar ray leonard roberto duran marvelous marvin Hagler, and thomas hearns